Welcome in, guys. It is week one. Week one of the NFL season. I'm A.J. Hoffman. I'm here with Steve Fezzik. Who else would I want to be with week one of the NFL than my guy Steve Fezzik? Steve, how you doing, man? I am excellent. Not as good as you off of a stellar college football week It's a good one. start. It's a good start. Let's hope we stay hot, my friend. Uh, so here's the way we're going to do it this week. You're going to get your usual dream preview where we we give you our best bets and go through every game and give you our notes. We're, we're going to do that. It's not here, though. So what we're going to do here is Fez and I are going to go over some uh, some more big picture points with the NFL. We're going to talk about uh, some strategy and survivor contests, if you're playing in those. We're going to talk about scoring and it being expe- us expecting it to be down from last year and why we've seen such a rise in scoring uh, in recent years. We're going to talk about all the new QBs, 12 of them making their debuts this season. We're going to talk about what is home field advantage really worth, and we're going to talk about the value of three as a key number, particularly as it relates to this opening slate. Uh, And then we're going to get into some of the biggest movers, the five biggest movers from open to now as we approach week one. So just some overview stuff. I'm going to give you a college best bet at the end of this pod. Uh, Dave Esler is going to give you a best bet. Steve Fezzik is going to throw some college best bets your way. It's an extravaganza. And then right after this, you're going to get the dream preview. So give us a listen here and then the dream preview coming up next. Let's go ahead and kick it off. Uh, You have some really interesting notes here on survivor contests. And this is a popular thing that you play out here. A lot of people fly into Vegas just to get started on this and then fly back proxies and the super contest. There's tons of them around town is what I'm noticing. What, what's the big, what's the big takeaway here? All right. So I want to talk about the Thursday night game and how it impacts survivors, specifically circa survivor, which is the biggest of the survivor contest, thousand dollar buy-in have to go ahead and just pick one winner a week. They have um, short weeks in Thanksgiving and, in Christmas, I believe, where they're going to go ahead and you have to have a selection early in the week and then a selection on Sunday. So there's essentially 20 weeks, winner take all. And this is straight up. Straight up. Just pick the winner. Only use the team once. A bonus if you don't use Tampa Bay or Kansas City. I believe a million-dollar bonus. Wow. And you And you go through. But there's a glitch in the system that's exploitable. And here's the glitch. The NFL starts, I believe it starts tomorrow. It Breaking does. news right here. Recording Wednesday evening. Unconfirmed NFL reports. No, that's it's confirmed. It, Adam it, Schefter is uh, blue check Mark Schefter says the season will start tomorrow night. Outstanding. But Circa has their deadline. It isn't until I believe it's Saturday morning. You can check me on that, but certainly you could enter on Friday. So here how can we exploit this information? Wait. If you're not going to play Tampa Bay for your survivor pick, wait until the Thursday night game. If Tampa Bay wins, there's going to be a lot of square sharps out there saying, you know what, Circa's guaranteeing $6 million in the prize pool, and there'll only be maybe, by latest projections, a little bit less than $6 million. While you talk, Mackenzie, maybe go um, to Twitter. Circa Sports is the handle and see if you've got an update on how much money is in the pool uh, that Circus Sports on, on Twitter. But it looks like there's a real good chance that there'll be an overlay. But here's the problem. People aren't going to take the Cowboys. Oh, there might be one or two brave, you know, brave hearts that do. But for the most part, I would imagine about 20% of the entries are going to take Tampa Bay. Do you really want to enter a contest? I look at this almost as like a free throw shooting contest. You got to make 18 to 20 in a row to win. Do I want to enter a free throw shooting contest 
if you, um, AJ, and and a thousand other people have made your first free throw, and I haven't made any, no. I'm at a disadvantage. They have an equity edge. I have an equity disadvantage. So I'm going to wait. And I might enter the Survivor with one or two entries only, and I'll use Tampa Bay on that entry. And then I'll be happy if Tampa Bay wins. But if Tampa Bay loses, then I would argue you absolutely have to max bet entries into Survivor because you're going to have a million bucks worth of entries. Dead. Dead. Are they already lost? And so I can pass post the Circa Survivor and then come in and make a maximum number of entries. So I agree wholeheartedly with the second part of your logic. With the, If Tampa were to lose... That is a very valuable time to buy in. I don't disagree that you're at a, I mean, obviously, you, sure, there's people who have won, but you could say that the the value in, in them having already won is made up with you still have a Tampa bullet in your chamber when no, when all those people don't. So that value is sort of made up with the fact, and Tampa's going to be favored in most of their games, so you'll have a Tampa as a favorite bullet to fire later on. So I would say that the the disadvantage of missing on Tampa isn't as bad as the advantage is great Let me if ask Tampa you this. were to lose. Let me ask you this. Would you rather have five entries that are 1-0 with Tampa or six entries that are 0-0? I'd rather have six that are 0-0. Is it close? Yeah. I'd say it's real close. It's, it's close. razor thin. I, you know, you can convince me. The fact that you're using up your Tampa bullet, you can convince me you'd rather have six entries, but we got to have a conversation, and this is complicated stuff at that point. And so that's where I'm going with it, is that, you know, clearly the Tampa entries, if five Tampa 1-0s are worth the same as six non-entries, all of a sudden you can see how much better the Tampa people are than you are. Because think about this on the other side of things, and I, it just because it's sort of the counter of, of your other argument, the people who do pick Dallas, the few brave souls, they have a huge edge now. Yeah, but they're so crazy that they'll probably pick the Bengals <laughs> week two. So. But there are, there are some no of them, but they still have that Tampa bullet. They've used a, a risky play with Dallas that every, any week that you put in Dallas, you're going to be like biting your nails like, oh, no. They'll have already gotten past that. There's to reach the guarantee. They Cirque has to get six thousand entries. They're currently at two thousand eight hundred twenty-five. I'll set the over/under. I can't set it because it depends if Tampa Bay loses. Now, if Tampa Bay loses, bold prediction. We've had the entire summer to get entries. We're less than fifty percent of the way there. I say we get. We'll wind up around fifty-five hundred. If Tampa Bay wins, I'm going to predict we only get to forty-five hundred. Okay. Do those numbers seem reasonable? That seems you know, pretty reasonable. Yeah, how, how many entries do you have, or have you not made one you're waiting I, I, to? I'm waiting. I'm Like I said, I'm probably going to enter one and put in Tampa. Just one, all okay. right? Because I don't want to be excluded completely. Right. But once Tampa Bay wins, that's it. I'm not entering anymore. Um, but if Tampa Bay loses, absolutely. It's a, a, and, and, you know, there might What's be a free-for-all. Six, but, you know, you sign up your wife, your dog, your intern. You get people interviewing. Can you I know? sign up my nine-year-old? Is that a— No, no. Oh, come on. But he can put in the picks for you. <laughs> I can speak from experience. Okay. All right. um, just, no, no, I'm just kidding. I, I would never— probably smarter than mine. I would never, I would never— Oh, I've got a video that can— I, I, the, My kid is smarter than, than me. <laughs> so Mike, my, my he he's ten and he just solved equations. They I gave him two um, um, uh, numbers on the equation of the line, 
and he can go ahead and plot the slope and the graph and, oh and, and like boom in 38 seconds. I have a video. All right. 30, I, you, I'll, you'll see the video and you'll say, yes, Fezzik is an alien. Um, at least my son's normal. You just can do that. Did I did I convince you that maybe there is still some? Like it's it's not as much of a, a death knell as you were thinking it is. I, it's not. You can you. You didn't convince me, but you bring up an excellent point. And I was aware of this, that all one and those are not created equal. Right. And I'd much rather be 1-0 and with Carolina week one than 1-0 and with Tampa. So you, I guess you can look at it as 1-0 and with an asterisk that we've used up a nice bullet, you know, in the chamber. And so it's – but it's still, like I said – I mean, I, it's arguably the, the, one of the two most valuable bullets in your chamber. Like, yeah, but, that's, but the bottom line is the people who are 1-0 and have an edge against the people who are 0-0. and Any victory is almost always, you know, going to be a – bottom line, there's going to be plenty of people, smart people, that are going to use Tampa Bay, and they only have a 73% chance of winning that game. Your guess, you said, is, is about 20% of people will take Tampa week one? That is my guess, although there is there might be a human nature – that says, boy, I don't want to bust out before the season starts. But then there's the second aspect. They are the biggest favorite, you know, now. I, I would argue, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not playing for these high stakes. I think if I, like, if I were trying to set up an ideal play, mine would either be San Francisco or the Rams this week. Both who are, they're sizable favorites. Both teams that, if injuries were to occur... They, their value goes down, particularly San Francisco. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Those yeah. are teams that I'd want to get out of the way early versus a team like Tampa who could fade a major injury or two and, and still be a pretty damn good team. So to, the, my my strategy would to be – I'd probably play San Francisco. I'm going to use some Carolina because – how often is Carolina all year long going to be favored by by six? So, that's a good point. You know, that's, that, that, that will certainly be one of my teams. The bottom line is the big takeaway. If Tampa Bay does indeed lose, we don't need to have any discussions. This is like the overlay of all overlays yep. because I got dead money put in by the people who picked Tampa Bay week one. And I got dead money from the casino that has to get me to that 6,000 guarantee that I don't know if we're going to get there even with the Tampa Bay loss. Six million. Obviously. Yeah, I said six thousand. Yeah. Huh. That's just how much you're gonna entries yeah. you're gonna put in. Round, rounding error. McKenzie, a thousand to you is a million to Fez. Like a, a million to <laughs> Opposite, a million to you true. is a thousand to Fez. Yeah, that's what it is. And and needless to say, I'm probably costing circa like literally this discussion might cost them five hundred thousand. Well, they're big, they're big fans of yours. <laughs> because if Tampa does indeed win, I'm gonna basically tell everyone you're a complete square ball to play Survivor because you're at a slight disadvantage versus a field and Maybe the guarantee can make that up, but the point is there's plenty of other contests I can play that I'm not losing to the field, you know, going into the into the season. All right. Let's talk about scoring, which was was big last year. You think scoring will be down this year relative to last year? Yes. Yeah, scoring average in 2020 in the NFL, uh, I think McKenzie has the exact numbers. I know it's just was just under 50 per, ga- per game. That was like historic. That was like three points higher than what we've seen in the highest years previously. There's a lot of reason for that. Coaches, NFL coaches recognize you want to be a riverboat gambler. You want to be aggressive. You want to throw more than you run. The rules are skewed towards the offenses. Sure seemed like they called fewer offensive holding penalties. So I, in general, I agree with higher scoring. However, I think that lack of crowd noise really helped 
the road teams. The previous high was 46.8. And last year, what was the exact number, McKenzie? 49.6 combined points. So um, put those two together. We were almost three points higher, almost a field goal higher than what we saw in prior years. I'm going to predict that it goes down to about 48. I'm going to send over-under, average scoring, 48. Crowd noise, disrupting offenses more. How good is that number? You guys like over or under average scoring 48 this year? I like under. I noticed in week one I was looking at a lot of uh, a lot of numbers and thinking, God, it just seems like a lot of points to me. One thing that gives me some pause, have you looked into these numbers, the decline of punting in the NFL? I have not. What's the average number of punts? Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. The average number of punts in a game, I would say 8.3. The average times per, per team or per game, NFL teams punted – 3.7 times per game last year, the lowest figure in pro football history. Look how bad my number was. So I used 8.3, and, and it should have been 7.4. Yeah. So 4.8 punts per game, that was as recent as 2017. That number was it started out around that in, in the early 80s and kind of hovered there up until 2017, and we've seen a sharp decline. Uh, the average offense gained 5.6 yards per play in 2020. So fourth and short now doesn't seem as daunting as it once did. And, and listen, a lot of coaches, it, and you, on the other side, coaches are afraid to give the ball to a team that can average 5.6 yards per play. And I think more and more there's pressure. The kick, return, kick returns are declining as well. There's pressure on coaches. Why on fourth down? In key situations, now fourth and fifteens are always going to be fourth and fifteens. Up when your the goalpost is over your head, you're going to you're going to punt. But if it's fourth and six, your quarterback's the best player on your team, the highest paid guy you've got. Why are you going to throw a punter out here that nobody? Know? You're going to let that guy decide the game instead of the guy you're paying millions to. I think coaches, you can call it analytics, you can call it just a, the way the game has has evolved. They feel less inclined to punt these days. And I, that that could lead to higher numbers, although I do tend to think last year was was sort of an aberration. Now I I think the scoring I agree was an aberration being this high. I think this this punting number I think that's not that's not going back up. No, it's that's, that that's is real. done deal. That you said fourth and six, but really it's the fourth and threes from the enemy's forty three. Those those are slam dunk punts three years ago. Not and anymore. I would say it's fifty fifty whether or not they teams will go for it. I do think that the the totals that got put up last year, what's the biggest hindrance to an offense is a, a noisy crowd. And there were no noisy crowds last year. You, all and a, off, and a big penalty. Offenses were very comfortable, uh, and and th I think that goes away this. Well, as long as crowds stay relatively close to what they are, who knows what COVID will look like. Oh, I Ten think, weeks into the season. You know, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Uh, COVID is raging in the Southeast, and all I saw was fans everywhere at full capacity in Mississippi, Atlanta. Well, not Atlanta, but, um, you know, across the Southeast. Even the, uh, the UCLA-LSU game where they, you know, when you walked in the door, they said everybody wear a mask in the stands. You watch that game, nobody's wearing a mask. They, I mean, they—, they well, I think it's it's the honor system where if you haven't been vaccinated, wear a mask. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with the, the honor system. Yes. Okay. Uh, but the bottom line, one thing that's interesting about us is so we're making a case for we think scoring is going to go down a little bit, but the bigger picture is that scoring is absolutely up in the NFL versus prior years, throw 2020 out the window, and we expect 
around you know 48, 47 and a half points. Now, what's interesting, week one is lined, the average totals, I just did this, were just under 48 points. That's a sky-high week one number. Week ones and twos, normally lower scoring offenses behind defenses. I can make a case there are more reasons for that this year. Only three preseason games. So, And a lot of these teams chose to be very vanilla, not to play their starters on offense, not to play their starting quarterbacks. So a lot of offenses may not be ready in the NFL. The teams may not be used to that crowd noise, so it may be a shock to the offense's system. It's not going to bother the defenses. And those, the combination of those factors, along with 12 teams now, have brand-new quarterbacks, 12 of the 32. So there's an integration issue with that, limited practice time, or limited playing time in the preseason. I think it all points to, I think we want to selectively be looking to play unders in the NFL. And I hate to draw conclusions from college versus pro, but I believe about severe. 65% of the college games between the, um, you know, the, the, the top division schools went under and – Maybe that's a harbinger of what's to come in the NFL here. Talking about those new quarterbacks, 12 is a big number. I mean, do you, do you have an idea of how that is relative to years past? Is, is this an abnormal amount of new quarterbacks? Oh, I would probably set the over-under at seven, I okay. think. Yeah, I think that might be high. I think I'm only setting it at seven because it's 12. Otherwise, I might have made it four and a half. Um, absolutely. I think it's unprecedented because franchise quarterbacks never move. So if you look at your top 15 quarterback list, those guys were all there the year before, you know, typically. And that's just not the case. Um, well, that's still the case, but it's on the bottom end. I was say, not many of the, the top guys are moving. Yeah, know. other than your, your Houston Texans where, you know— uh, like crim- criminal investigation issues. Yeah. Yes. That's uh, pending. So we won't even count that one. But So the last five seasons, there's been 29 new team starting quarterbacks week one. What's that? 30 divided by six five, a year? About six a year. Almost double this year. Oof. More Double this year. Goes back to what I was saying that like I only set the number at seven because of the 12, right? Yeah. I set a bad number. And really, even like when you consider all the, I mean, three of the five first round rookies have starting jobs. I mean, it could have been even more. Like, there, you can make an argument that Justin Fields should be starting for Chicago. Well, I guess Andy Dalton's starting there anyway. But most people in Chicago are making that argument. Yeah. So, uh, so let's draw a, a sweet. A, how can we profit from this? I would say selectively look to play Week One unders. Selectively look to play team totals on road teams under. And I think selectively look to play first half and first quarter unders and no score in the first six minutes, because I think that the acclimation period is going to be the most severe very early in the game what do you think i'll go start with mckenzie i like it a lot especially with new quarterbacks especially with new quarterbacks with zero preseason snaps rj asked me to do this study eight times last four years there's been zero preseason snaps those guys have gone under their first half total six of the eight times losing two and a half points versus expectations in the first half especially yeah that's really good repeat that all all right so over the last five years There was zero five years ago, so over the last four years, there's been eight quarterbacks that had zero preseason snaps. So Aaron Rodgers did it. Joe Flacco did it. Those quarterbacks in the first half, if you look at their team total, their first half team total, go under that number six of the eight times by two and a half points per time. So they're expected to score 12 and a half points. They scored under 10 on average. So they basically lose 17% of their production. Exactly, and they and and again, we can get at that. We want to diversify. We can play 
um, props on first score touchdown versus field goal for that team. Um, the first quarter under for that team. There's a whole bunch of different ways to get at the. But the big theme is if the quarterback doesn't take any snaps in preseason, fade him early in the game. Do we have a list of? Yes. So those those that have taken zero snaps include Matt Ryan of the Falcons, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers again in the Packers, Herbert in the Chargers, Stafford and the Rams, Wilson and the Seahawks, and Tannehill and the Titans. Tennessee, Seattle. Rams, Chargers, Green Bay, Dallas, Atlanta. Yes, sir. Seven teams. Outstanding information. I mean, it, it, I guess it does, it's it's one, so it doesn't. Joe Burrow took one snap this preseason. One. Like he, he threw one pass the whole preseason. So I'm, I mean, does that is that any real difference versus him and Matt Stafford taking zero snaps? It's a real good point. We should include him probably on the list, and and I do think we can put an asterisk. Does Green Bay? And Seattle and Tennessee and the Rams. These are all quarterbacks. I mean, let's, you know, let's that, talk about that for mm-hmm. a second because it's funny. You know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in the preseason. Russell Wilson doesn't play in the preseason. Matt Stafford. And I feel fine about it. Dak Prescott, we have questions about. Uh, you know, oh, you Joe know, Burrow. epiphany. Dallas always goes has low scoring early in the game. I think McKenzie, you did that research as well. Would this not be a intersection of two great situations? The Cowboys start off slow, especially on the road. During Dak's era, seventeen times they went under out of their first eighteen games in the Dak era. First quarter on the road during the Dak era. What about first quarter on the road against the best defense in the NFL? How often does that happen? <laughs> They're playing I mean, the Steelers? The <laughs> but but what, I, what I was getting at is, you know, these, these quarterbacks that we have questions about, I feel differently about Dak or Carson Wentz or Joe Burrow, guys that I would like to see where they are developmentally versus guys like Rodgers and Wilson and Stafford, who I feel comfortable. I, I know what those guys are. You know, these guys, if you're coming off a major injury or you're, you're, you're in a new place with a new offense and I haven't seen it before, I, I kind of want to know what you look like. And, and I've, I'm more pessimistic about those guys that I don't know about than the guys that I feel like I can trust. And maybe I'm being naive saying I, I can trust what Aaron Rodgers is and Russell Wilson is and Matt Stafford is, but that's just my mind says that. I know what these guys are. They're not going to show up and suddenly be schlubs. Carson Wentz could show up and be a schlub. Joe Burrow could show up and be a shell of what he was in the first nine games last year. Dak Prescott could still not be able to throw a deep ball. I don't know. I haven't it's seen a good point. We didn't have Indy on the list because we don't know if Carson Wentz is going to start in McKenzie. Is that correct? Exactly right. So now that he was announced today that he is going to start, he would be the eighth team. Zero preseason drop. And I think he'd be the one that goes to the head of the class sure. in terms of you know looking to fade. One of the games... You know, and I'm, I'm sure actually there's a couple, but one that jumped out at me is a, uh, is a team that's got two new quarterbacks. Like, are these games that specifically, and Jets Panthers is one, Jags Texans is one, where both quarterbacks are in new situations? Or, or do those games have more interest to you? It's interesting because it makes complete sense. And, you know, looky here, what happened? The Jets Carolina game. Got smacked over. I can tell you that was a Warren Sharp play that he that he was on that over, and a big part of that is that the Jets were just decimated a wide receiver. So I think he thinks that they're and, and Carolina had to play some really 
good defenses last year. And he's on I, some other sharp, it may have been somebody else, was actually, I know the line move on both these games. We saw money on the over on Houston Jacksonville as well. So here's money coming in opposite of exactly what you said, which may, and your, and your statement is completely logical. Two brand new quarterbacks, I'd expect scoring to suffer. The other two games that kind of fit that, uh, and one of them, I guess, is you would call it maybe sort of fits it. The Dolphins Patriots game sort of fits it to a second year in the system, but you know, it's still a relative, I mean, a new starting quarterback Rams bears and then Rams bears. And and there's money all over that over. It's very odd. It's funny. We're looking at selective unders, but then the ones that have would seem the most to scream under, under those are the ones we're talking about. You wonder if the analytic geeks are throwing in this quarterback's worth this to this team and not looking at the, key factor of week one that season wide long they may be directionally correct but not week one in terms of what the scoring is going to do on these teams uh let's talk a little bit about home field advantage this year and we've kind of said you know in the last couple of years home field advantage it's no no longer a flat three which is what it was for a long time just kind of a given this is and maybe it would be 3.2 or something for a good team what do you, what have you seen the change kind of settle in at two and a half for the average home field and then you can make some case by case adjustments certainly Seattle Green Bay I think you can make a home field of three and a half on those two teams um, crowd noise and the unique playing conditions then the dome teams uh, Minnesota New um, Orleans New Orleans selectively if if Atlanta has a good year you know a lot of these domes it really depends I mean Houston's dome isn't going to be a rock in this no. year Buffalo so you know not in, not in the dome but like weather travel wise not an easy place to get to possibly later in the year in a right. frenzied crowd especially against a really good opponent um but the you know Baltimore's always had a real fine yep. home field I'd certainly give that three and, and then I- the one team that stands out um as a dome that I got to evaluate later the Raiders I don't know how many Chicago fans and Philly fans there's going to be on their on their home games that might mitigate that crowd noise? And I, I've heard you talk in the past about, you know, Miami being a, a tough and Jacksonville be, those being tough trips early in the season when it's hot, humid. Numbers don't really play that out too much, though. Okay, so it's not it, it's logical that the heat and humidity should benefit them, but maybe those players are so damn tired from practicing in the heat and humidity it impacts the 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 team's um, uh, preparation. I will say this: the Chargers. If there's one team that has the smallest home field, no one cares about the Chargers in L.A. It's the, it's the third team in L.A. The Raiders are the second team. So uh, the Chargers are the team that hates – they love the COVID exclusions, no fans, because that way they didn't get booed at home, and when they went on the road, there were no fans. Do you think that changes as they have some success? No. No okay. one – Lakers – it's still Lakers town, even when the Clippers are good. And there's others – I mean – Jacksonville, who has the, t- the their top ring tarped off for years and years, like there's home field advantages that are just they they exist but barely. Yes, now I do. Detroit barely. I do think the home field advantage is going to, and this is RJ's theory, and I agree with it. Let's be real careful early in the year. Teams haven't had they got new quarterbacks. They haven't had crowd noise. You can just see Tua melting down in New oh, England, yeah. can't you? With oh, yeah. with the, the crowd screaming and having to go with silent counts and things like that. So I do think we might see home field being worth more than two and a half, especially the first few weeks. All right, let's get into uh, another interesting subject. The most important number in in NFL betting. What's the biggest key number there? Three. 
Funny you say that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games lined exactly at three week one. How about that? Yes, and I'm going to give a little betting. I'm going to pull back the curtain, a little betting pro secret. I spend probably three quarters, no, twice as much time at least on games lined close to or around three. And I probably make five times as many bets on those games as I do, say, a game lined at five. How can that be? Because think about it. If a game is lined at five and it should be three and a half or six and a half, my edge is minuscule. It's off a full point and a half. That's a big differential. Still, it's probably not going to land five or four or six. And because of that, it's very rare that I, if I have to lay minus a dollar ten, I'm going to have an edge. Contrast that with a game lined on three. Now, all of a sudden, there's all kinds of creative ways to get at it, shopping around, watching line moves, laying the two and a half, taking the three and a half, go play some parlay cards plus three and a half, go find a book that is dealing a rogue number off by half a point, because if the actual line should be three, you're looking at a situation where out of every 100 trials, 45 times the favorite's going to cover 45 times the dog's going to cover, and 10 times it's landing on the number. If I can capture that 10%, whether I'm taking 3.5 or laying 2.5, both are 55% bets. When you guys play the Super Contest games, what's the what's the general feel on games that are lined at 3? Avoid them if you can? No, we maniacally look at them. The okay. opposite is true, because now all of a sudden, if very rare do you see an NFL game lined at exactly three. All right. So you'll see games like this week in the super contest, the Vikings, I'd say that line is probably like 3.4 right now against the Bengals. Some money came in on the Vikings. It's three uh, at, on the super contest line. So immediately go to the head of the class. The Vikings minus three becomes attractive, but even the games like Miami, New England, it's very rare that I'd say that line is exactly three. I'd say that line's 2.9. So I would never put, say never. I have done it before, but I would rarely lay three on that game in a super contest pick or in my own betting selections. Um, but the plus three immediately becomes the knee jerk. I'm basically pay- playing at almost no vig if I get to play at plus three. So that side, I, I suddenly have to start looking at very closely. But what's interesting is there's a whole bunch of games that I, I can make the case that were lined more like at 2.75 or 3.2. And a lot of them are converging, like the Broncos-Giants, for the longest time was like 2.65. And now that line is moving more and more to a solid 3.0. Let's talk about some of the biggest line moves uh, from open to now to, you know, like I said, week one is upon us. The the biggest move, Seattle at Indy, we've seen a a five-and-a-half-point move. It, it, It opens... Indy minus two and a half. Right now it's Seattle three, minus three. Do you think that there's been an overreaction? Is this the right amount that it should have been moved? And we discussed this on SOV today. What's really pushing the move? And if it was Carson Wentz, why aren't we seeing it push back? Yeah, it's a great point because how in the world can we have almost a five-point move on a game where Carson Wentz looks like he's been named the starter? He's going to play. Well, there's a concern that he didn't have any practice with his players. There's the injuries to the linemen. Uh, Quentin Nelson isn't going to go, I believe. And T.Y. Hilton, he's worth half a point. He's not playing. But so it's almost like the cluster injuries and issues with the offense suddenly are are hitting breaking point where you're wondering, 
boy, this is going to be the Colts are really going to be up against it week one. But having said that, from a pure basic strategy perspective, I think you have to look to play the Colts once it's hit three here. Um, could um, the fact that Carson Wentz didn't get to actually have preseason games and practice the full time be worth four points? No. Yeah, I, I saw today Eric Fisher limited in practice today. Uh, Xavier Rhodes mispractice with a calf injury. He'd be lined up against DK Metcalf. The injuries are just piling up on on Indianapolis. So I thought Eric did... Fisher wasn't coming back to like October. Is that is... Uh, no? He, he's he's trying to play yeah, I didn't know now. Uh, but they they uh, they've got a bunch of guys who are let's just say dinged up at best. Mm-hmm. So they're not going into week one fully locked and loaded, ready to go. So I think that's causing some pessimism. Uh, next biggest mover on the board. Uh, is the Giants in Denver. This has been a, 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 a pretty big shift. Three points. Open at a pick. Now we're seeing Denver minus three. Uh, this is right in line with Denver optimism for full season as well, right? Yeah, so McKenzie did some great research that Denver is, McKenzie, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the betters are more bullish on Denver than any team we've ever seen in the history of the NFL during the summer in terms of a line move, right? Well, our seasonal key performance indicator database so far only goes back five years. But yes, with a bullet, biggest offseason upgraded team the last five years, this year's Denver Broncos. Yeah, so they get Cortland Sutton back, um, a really good wide receiver. Obviously, they get guys back on the defense. Uh, Von Miller's playing. There's a lot of reason for optimism. And we can say, you know, that seven and a half is probably a bad number on Denver, and they should be closer to a 500 team. But, you know, whoa, now they're all the way up to minus three. And it almost reminds me, I quote one of my favorite movies, Wall Street, where he gives out a recommendation to go ahead and buy Blue Star Airlines, all right? And then two th- right before the, the close, everyone's really happy. They're like, the stock's going to Pluto. Denver's up to minus three. And Charlie Sheen says, dump it. Dump it all. Um, and at some point, it becomes irrational exuberance. And I think we're pretty much at that point. I think at three, the... You've missed out on Denver. Nothing has changed. They were playing great in preseason a month ago. They were kicking ass against the Vikings, and they crushed Seattle. That Three weeks ago, that happened. And I got news for you. It, I mean, if, if Teddy Bridgewater is a three-point upgrade over Drew Locke, it, it shouldn't have taken this long to figure out that, that Teddy Bridgewater was going to be the starter. <laughs> I, I, I could say that. And I also think if he were three points better than Drew Locke, Carolina wouldn't be paying a chunk of his salary to make him go away. <laughs> uh, so I, I think there's some – That's some, Denver is very confusing to me right now. I'm just going to be honest. I, I, I mean, I see the, the moves happening, and I'm not going to discount them too much. I don't agree with them, though. I, I, don't, I don't really understand why it's happening. I don't see what's changing with Denver to bring so much optimism. The bottom line, no news has come out other than the Giants not playing Daniel Jones till, you know, the third preseason game. And you had all summer to lay two, all right? Comfortably, don't lay three. And, I mean, Denver's got a coach that's on the hot seat. And everybody's acting like they're a, a buy. T- I, don't, I don't get it. It's, just, it's, it's very odd to me. Uh, another big mover, well, we'll see him tomorrow night. The Cowboys, not real... Not really confusing why uh, th- this one's moving. This is not really a surprise. Dak hasn't taken a preseason snap. Coming off a big injury, added another injury in the offseason. Uh, is this about right? If, if this thing's at eight and a half, is that about right to you? I think so. And, you know, if you look at the Cowboys, um, yeah, it's a big deal. 
Zach Martin, their best lineman, not going to play. Well, Collins uh, has a stinger. I don't know if he's going to play. Dak hasn't been able to practice. Uh, a formula I use to set a line early in the year, I use season wins. Tampa's a 12. McKenzie got in over 11 and a half. Kudos. Got a great number. Uh, Dallas is nine now, so Tampa's 12. Three game difference. Multiply by 2.3. I don't know why it's 2.3. That's just the factor I use, and it works. That makes uh, the line 6.9 on a neutral site. So if Tampa should be 6.9 on a neutral, I give them two and a half for home field, and boom, I'm at 9.4, and we're at eight and a half right now. So that spread suddenly is looking very much spot on. If anything, it's looking a little light because you make the case, hmm, Dallas, without Dak having played at all in the preseason, maybe comes out and struggles early in the year. So I've heard a lot of the media experts saying this line is inflated. The line's not inflated. The line's a light. Uh, New England uh, hosting Miami. They opened minus one and a half. I think that was light. Now we're seeing three. This feels more in line with what it should be. Yeah, I think so. I think anything less than three on New England, the Patriots were undervalued. People didn't take into consideration all that cap money they had to spend and the spend they did on four new receivers and getting the defense back to, you know, where it is indeed a dominant defense and a solid D-line. So I think this is one of those cases where really like the Patriots minus two and a half. I think it's a 55% bet. At three, we let it go. And then finally, Jacksonville at Houston opened Jags minus one and a half. Now you got to lay three on the road with the Jags. I don't think it was certain Watson wasn't going to play. And then yeah. it was likely most of the offseason. Now we've gotten a confirmation. And, you know, this isn't Jacksonville money. This is money against your Houston Texans. You're formerly your favorite team no. before they, you know, went ahead and, and 86 you for life. They're a bunch of dummies. Okay. Uh, so there you go. There's uh, kind of the latest and greatest going on as we get into week one. I want to give out uh, some college information. I've got a college best bet for you guys. I'm going to be on Iowa against Iowa State, catching four and a half, four, depending on, you know what, I'll, I'll just say four is the buy price. Uh, given who knows what it'll be when this pod comes out, I don't want to. I don't want to give any. I don't want to answer a bunch of questions on Twitter. Basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, it, both these teams are ranked. Iowa State, a lot of hype coming into the season, and boy, they slept walk week one, and they almost gave it away uh, against an FCS opponent, which would have been a, you know a top ten team losing to an FCS opponent would have been a total disaster. Iowa, on the other hand, they went out against a ranked, albeit maybe a, a phony-ranked Indiana, but they did have a number by their name. Hey, I think that's the team that I gave out for a season went under was, that, well done. was the Hoosiers, my one play on the pot. And, boy, they dominated defensively. Indiana ran 12 football plays in Iowa territory in that game. 12. They turned the ball over three times. Iowa's defense is legit. And Indiana, they've got a legit quarterback in Michael Penix. This is a, a, a good player. Brock Purdy historically has struggled out of the gates. Now, October, don't don't try to fade Brock Purdy. Early in the season, though, take advantage of this. Iowa has won this thing four times in a row. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. The total's 46-and-a-half. I like an under in it. But if I'm getting that kind of a game, I feel like catching four points is a, is a nice edge for Iowa. So Iowa plus four. Uh, in the Cyhawk Trophy game, I'm gonna. I learned it's the Cyhawk, whatever the heck that is. It's a made up thing. Speaking <laughs> of the Cyhawk Trophy game, 
And pregame.com has another pro on this particular game. It's the great Dave Esler, Diamond Dave Esler. Let's take a listen. 11, I bet Iowa plus four and a half over Iowa State Saturday. The vast majority of the tickets here earlier in the week and the money are on Iowa. This line opened, Cyclones minus three and a half. It's gone to four and a half at most shops. That simply says where the early sharp money might be. I disagree. My first question was, is that based simply on the lofty expectations Iowa State has for the season? And I think it is. And those are expectations that I actually agree with. But the Cyclones have two guys, Purdy and Hall, who actually had decent Heisman odds heading into the season. And what do I take away from that lackluster performance by those guys against Northern Iowa? Their offense just didn't click. They let Northern Iowa convert almost half their third downs. If Northern Iowa doesn't throw two interceptions, one might think they had a chance to upset the seventh-ranked team in the nation. My instinct tells me that ISU's sluggish game was a look-ahead, lack of focus, maybe thinking about this game, but it was Northern Iowa. It was a Missouri Valley FCS team. Having said that, let's not forget the Hawkeyes are the 18th-ranked team in the nation getting points against a team that they know really, really well. And in spite of turning the ball over twice, they still beat the Hoosiers by four touchdowns. These two didn't play last season, but Iowa's won five straight in this series and haven't lost to the Cyclones by more than three points in 15 years. Having said that, I will take Iowa and the better defense, cemented by the fact this is the first time ISU has played any season with these expectations like ever. It might be too much. Give me Iowa plus four and a half points over Iowa State. Iowa, Iowa State. I'm going to jump in on Iowa. I like Iowa in this game. You know, I'm going to play correlated parlay. I'm going to take Iowa with the under because I think this is pretty clear that Iowa's going to score 20 points. I'm confident, in fact. So confident, I would bet even money Iowa's going to score exactly 20 points. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, high winds expected all across the Midwest this weekend. So we're talking 15, 20-mile-an-hour winds. All, you know, Iowa, uh, uh, Illinois, uh, all across the mid- middle part of the country, supposed to be heavy winds. So I'm going to be looking at several unders. And, and if I can get big dogs in those games, in the low total games, uh, I'll be playing those as well. Bottom line, if you tell me Iowa covered the four and a half, I would say it's more, if you, if you said 62 points got scored, let me put it that way. I'm in deep trouble with my Iowa. And if you told me 37, I'm like, I'm loving my, my Iowa pick. I am going to give out a bonus college football best bet. Michigan, Washington. I'm going to go under 48 and a half. Uh, weather in Michigan, too. There's weather, you know, with wind potentially. And also Michigan's lost a really good wide receiver to injury. And under the radar, Washington has severe wide receiver cluster injuries. I don't know how good these guys are. I'm not the college football expert. Missing three of their top four wide receivers. They could not move the ball can't, this week. Can't move against Montana or Montana State or Saskatchewan. I'm not really sure who they lost to last week, but I know they couldn't score against them. So I don't see them being able to score against Michigan. And, and remember, what do we worry about with Harbaugh? Well, when he's playing Western Michigan, he might want to go ahead and put a 50-burger on somebody. But in this case, with a competitive line where I would lean to Michigan, but the line's still only 6.5, I would go ahead. Absolutely. I like the under 48 michigan winning the game like 28 to 16. I'm, I'm with you on that. So there you go. There's some college. We've got some NFL. And uh, guys, hope you guys enjoyed this little bonus pod. And it'll be coming out first in your feed. And then the dream preview should be up right behind it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Fez. Thank you, McKenzie. Uh, thank you, Dave Esler. And thank you to you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.